0: Apparently, Sean Spicer's a fat tub
1: of
2: shit, huh? <laughs> Spicer had a rough day. He
1: was, he was, he was shamed. He's just, he's just getting
0: picked up. He's getting body shamed by the administration. Yes. Uh, so, so
1: those of you who don't know, Steve Bannon, uh, when asked about why why we weren't doing more press conferences, said his exact quote was, what was it? Uh, Sean
2: got fat. Sean, Sean, Sean got fat. Sean me. got fat. yeah. Which
1: is, again, it's terrible on so many levels, and it just suggests how dysfunctional the internal dynamics are. Oh, oh,
0: that poor bastard. Yeah.
1: Hey, welcome to Barstool Politics. Just <laughs> <laughs>
0: gonna dive right into that one. Yeah.
1: Oh, all right. Well, it's it's Nick, Phil, and Bill, and uh, special the, this week. Yeah, special this week. In the second half of the show, we are going to be joined by Peter Rice, uh, who's an author and written the book "Liberal for Conservative Reasons: How to Stop Being Obnoxious and Start Winning Elections." and uh, we're going to talk to him about the book uh, and uh, what's going on in the world of politics right now. So uh, should, should be fun. Yeah, it should be exciting. Yeah, definitely.
3: Yeah. <coughs> how, how you doing, Phil? I'm great.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so we actually get to start with with foreign policy and foreign events today, which makes me very excited.
1: It seems like even though everybody else in the world is talking about the Russia allegations, obstruction of justice, there are yeah, events yeah. going on in the world that are significant, right? Yeah, uh, I and, think so. Yeah. And, I know, we were talking before we went on air. It feels to me like there's a number of issues that are either in crisis mode or coming to a crisis soon. Uh, and this will be the first, I think, real test for the Trump administration. Whether we're talking about, uh, the, the, we'll talk about Russia, uh, Afghanistan, Cuba, there are a number of issues that- North Korea? North Korea, absolutely, North Korea, uh, that are going to test the Trump administration. Uh, it, uh, I, do you guys feel is there i would there's not there's not a doctrine yet is there we can't say that there's any kind of coherent no approach to foreign policy it, yeah. yeah
0: it's going to take years for that and and with this administration it may take longer than that
1: yeah it uh, so so that that concerns me a bit that we don't there's a lot of unknown about what's gonna what's gonna happen as they approach these in a i'm guessing piecemeal fashion mm-hmm.
3: well we talked we talked about this i don't know probably a couple months ago now that, you know, with presidencies, oftentimes the, the doctrine doesn't become clear until they go through some of these events, right? Like the right. Bush doctrine didn't exist until after September 11th, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, that that means things are up in the air, but it'll be, as, as he navigates, as Trump and his administration navigate some of these crises, maybe we'll start to see patterns that emerge, but I don't know what those would be. He's so unpredictable.
1: Well, I think that's right. I mean, even, even though there, there may be those within the administration Mattis, McMaster, I, I, Tillerson I don't even, I don't know what Tillerson's doing anymore but uh, they probably have a philosophy mm-hmm. but even if there is a philosophy, Trump has his own approach to things and I, I don't know if that that way of thinking and reacting w- would allow for any kind of philosophical approaches.
0: I don't know how much of the the policy that we've seen so far is necessarily him as much as like, i don't know how much leeway he's giving the generals in the military to kind of flesh out their own policy i think all of it right well yeah <laughs> I mean, so i wanted to be generous
3: <laughs> yeah no so i think you bring up i mean this there's kind of two ways to go with this because i before you said that i was i was leaning towards that the oh, one right. pattern that has sort of emerged in my mind is that trump is nice in terms of foreign policy Trump likes people who are nice to him, right? And that's kind of the pattern. Like he goes to Saudi Arabia and says nothing but good things because they treat him well. He goes to Europe, people are challenging him on stuff and he you know, lashes out at them. But on the other hand, right, the other part that you're talking about, Nick, which which is like how much involvement does Trump actually have at the end of the day? And this is, you know, so maybe Bill, we can talk about Mattis here because this, yeah. this kind of opens the door to that a little bit.
1: Well, so maybe we'll start with, with Afghanistan and then circle around to Russia. But uh, recently, Trump has ceded all authority for mm-hmm. determining the troop increase in Afghanistan to the Pentagon, to Mattis. And so the he has said, Mattis, you decide. And it, it sounds like there's going to be about 4,000 additional troops uh, that are going to be sent to mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And, and this feels like a song that we've sung many times, right? I mean, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. Th- yes, for this, the past this 15 wolf. years. yeah. <laughs>
3: This war is, what, 16 years old, Yeah. right? Like, that is unbelievable.
1: And and whether we go back to the George W. Bush administration or Obama and now (laughs) Trump, all of them have had their their surges, both big and small. And so now we're seeing that Mattis has decided that the 4,000 is the right number. And that may be the case, right? I, I tend to think it probably is, that he knows what he's talking about. But do we have a problem with the fact that the president is now saying to the Pentagon, Afghanistan's yours? I mean, right? right. I, the president is the one who makes should be making these calls. Well, I don't know.
0: Four thousand troops isn't going to make the difference in, like you said, a, a sixteen year long war at this point. The surge, the original surge, didn't apparently did not accomplish the mission. If a hundred thousand troops right didn't what matter, a going to do?
3: So, yeah, so there's this big question of why are we in Afghanistan, right? Like that's that's something that I don't think we talk about or address. Like a, nobody, like we. When was the last time they talked about Afghanistan on the news? Like. I, I, I don't I sort of imagine that most Americans think that we're done there yeah, right, and don't right. realize what's going on. but there's this also this this principle at play here which is a longstanding principle in the us of civilian control of the military right and that's part of the reason why the president is made commander-in-chief so you have a civilian who's elected you don't have the generals essentially running everything and this was one of the concerns when mattis mattis who who largely most people across the board were totally okay with. But the one issue that some people brought up that they were concerned about was that he hadn't been out of the military for the required, is it four years, five years? I don't remember what the limitation is. Is it five?
1: I was thinking seven, but I could be wrong. Oh. It's uh, whatever it 3.5. Yeah. We'll that
0: right. <laughs> yeah. That's right.
3: <laughs> he hadn't been out of the military for the required uh, years. Yeah. And so <laughs> he... um <laughs> people were talking about and and people sort of it seems like most people largely dismissed it but the concern was about this principle of civilian control of the military that someone who's you know a a career military person fresh out of the military shouldn't be in charge of the military um and so yeah there's this weird dilemma which is that i totally trust mattis more than i trust donald trump yes right but at the same time i think that principle is an important one and it's a it's one worth Upholding and fighting for it to some extent, so it, it doesn't make me happy that the military is largely being told you're on your, you're totally autonomous, do whatever you think is appropriate yeah I, I think that that could take us to bad places
0: well, I mean they're being told that they're totally autonomous, but realistically the the checks and balances for they're given they're being given a lot of leeway on strategy. I think in the the end, obviously yeah. the end the decision is still made by the president obviously he's going to say yes by just you know to just about anything but yeah i i i agree with what you're saying i think with the current people that we have there mattis and and the like i don't think there's necessarily much to worry about but if this is a precedent that we set going forward you
1: don't really know where that can it, it's go. concerning yeah
3: it's amazing how just a different like, a slightly different wording or approach would, would make me feel better, right? So yeah, if yeah. Trump had said, bring me your recommendation, Mattis, and then Mattis brings it to him and Trump says, approved, right? Yeah, that, right. Like, somehow that difference is enough to make me feel slightly better about it. I'm not losing a whole lot of sleep over it. But, it, <laughs> but, but o- only because we have
1: so little faith in the president— to make a, a good decision there. And so much faith in Mattis to say, OK, he's the adult in the room. And he may be the only adult left in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and But otherwise, this would be, t- the Obama administration, it's such a contrast. Because the Pentagon would bring options to him, and Obama would deliberate, say no. I and mean, there say was a no. Right. There was a contentious <laughs> issue. The, the, the Pentagon has wanted to increase troop numbers for a long time. And Obama pushed back. Uh, so this, no, I think this is a really, really, really big deal. Although I'm reluctant to push for change because you think Mattis probably is the the best, he has the best option. Well, I mean, if, yeah.
3: if I have to choose, if I want Mattis or Trump deciding Afghanistan policy, I want Mattis. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. But that's the thing. Like, I, you know. 30 seconds ago, we were just saying that 4,000 troops isn't going to make a difference. So, what does that right. say about the strategy that they're already coming up with?
3: That's a good point.
1: Well, exactly. And I think, well, the, the strategy of the 4,000 is to train, right? So, it's no longer to oh, actually carry God, out God. the. I know, I know, Nick. Uh, but the idea is you, you train the Afghani troops, which we haven't tried that in the past, have we? No, I don't think we have. Okay, ever, well, see, ever, this ever, is ever, new. Ever. This is novel. Never once. <laughs> it's never been brought up. Right. So, the. Uh, The other reason I'm a little troubled by this, or maybe not troubled, but what occurs to me is that this is all left to the Pentagon largely because the State Department and diplomacy is gone. Right. So Tillerson, who when he first came in, I had some faith in. He seems like he's a smart guy. His his whole plan is just to gut the State Department. They've left hundreds of of top-level posts open, and those are the people... That you want to weigh in on a decision like this, and you want on the ground. I mean, diplomacy matters. Uh, and so, which isn't to say that the Defense Department doesn't matter, but it's, it should be a balance.
2: Well, I, I yeah. mean,
1: in this
0: situation, though, what do you think additional diplomatic relations with a completely failed state is going to do after 16 years of war?
1: Just a level of expertise.
3: Well, and it's not about, it's not just about bilateral diplomatic relations with Afghanistan. It's about having people who view the world, not through a military lens, but through a sort of global politics. You know, it's not just about Afghanistan. It's about other regional partners. It's about all sorts of things along those lines. When you don't have anybody there advocating for that. Sure. You know, it doesn't mean that the State Department should win all of those battles, but yeah, it would be right. nice if they were in the room. <laughs> well, <right? realistically,
0: laughs> I think at this point we know they're not going to win any of those battles. Right. So,
1: but, but that's another interesting thing because uh, so when Trump submitted his budget, it called for massive cuts to the State Department, and Mitch McConnell in the Senate has said that's a non-starter. Right. I mean, he doesn't want. That. I mean, he, he basically said we need a full, fully developed State Department. Don't talk to me about cutting thirty percent. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, you the have, State Department is mean.
3: We know that. It's mean. It's very mean. It's mean-spirited. So I... I, You know, when I'm talking about a Trump doctrine, I I wonder how how much this is uh, illustrative? Illustrative?
2: Oh, yeah. Both of them. One one of those pronunciations. (laughs) Yeah.
3: um, Of Trump's foreign policy, which is that it's an afterthought, right? Like, Trump doesn't want to be bothered with foreign... I don't think he wants to be bothered with much, but I certainly think he doesn't want to be bothered with foreign policy.
1: He's a delegator. (laughs)
3: Right. The fact that he has delegated (laughs) several important foreign policy issues to his son-in-law, who doesn't have experience in foreign policy, is, you know, telling of the importance of foreign policy in his mind. You mean Mickey Mouse? (laughs) So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that... You know, you could have a sort of an isolationist president, um, but I don't think that's what this is. This is uh, not giving any thought to it, which is where when a crisis does occur, you get concerned because he hasn't done any thinking about any of these issues. Right. right. Even if he doesn't want to get involved in foreign policy, if he at least has thought about and, you know been presented with issues in foreign policy, then when North Korea does launch a nuclear weapon, he's at least thought about it, right? Whereas I think up till you know, until that happens, he's not going to give it any thought.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, right. And and maybe this is a good time to transition and talk a bit about Russia and the issue of the U.S. shooting down the plane. It's getting ugly. Yeah, right. I mean, so those who haven't uh, been following this closely, uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, the U.S. shot down a Syrian airplane or fighter. Was that yesterday? Was it yesterday? Recently, within the last couple of days, yeah. uh, and uh, because they had that that fighter had been bombing U.S. supported—I don't know—it wasn't U.S. troops, but a, a group that we were supporting had gotten right. close. Uh, Anti ISIS fighters, so we, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And so we took the airplane out, and Russia right. responded by saying, uh, you know, basically, we will now you know respond with a similar attack by downing a US airplane which suddenly that becomes a dr- not,
3: yeah yeah go ahead if if, if you, the US flies in certain areas they will treat right. them as enemies basically they haven't they haven't declared that we're going to shoot down a US plane which is how you kind of made it sound
1: right well but they could right i mean if if it was you were saying beforehand that there was an interaction today between the US if a US ship were to go to plane fighter right. Yeah, a ship. Ship, yeah. <laughs> An airship. <laughs> airship, yeah. airship, air flying airship ship. <laughs> Welcome
3: uh, to the early 20th century. That's uh, right. Airships.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so that, that becomes a major, major issue, right? With potential yeah, for escalation. escalation, escalation. Right? Yeah. And who knows whether Russia is bluffing, right? So maybe they're saying this to push back against the United States a little bit. But if there is, if a Russian airplane takes out a U.S airplane right that's that's a that's big 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 deal and then you know to go back to our the beginning of this conversation is donald trump ready to handle that
2: no 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 No? okay good right
1: (laughs) is james mattis ready for that (laughs) hopefully yeah
0: (laughs) question mark Mm.
3: so yeah we should we keep talking about syria or should we yeah yeah or yeah if you've got what else so I, I was going to shift gears to North Korea because it, it also illustrates some of these issues with foreign policy, I think, yeah. right? This whole uh, Donald Trump doesn't really think about it or want to be bothered with it until something happens, right? Um, North Korea is maybe one different uh, different in that sense because he's talked a lot about North Korea. He's been all over the map. At one point, he said he would be honored to meet with North Korean leadership, and, you know, now he's, he's been smart calling guy. him.
0: Smart cookie. Yeah, I think.
3: yeah. <laughs> is that what he said about him
0: uh, yeah, yeah, he, he was, said something he was, like, along those something lines. along those lines i don't know if it was necessarily smart cookie but that's what i envision. Yeah. <laughs> i think bill says that
3: yes <laughs> that's right uh, so this week you have uh the north korea situation sort of ratcheting up as well so you have the auto is it Warmbier? is that how you pronounce his name yeah i think so yeah mm-hmm. so this uh university of virginia student who was traveling abroad and went on a tour to north korea I don't I don't know all the details but he was accused of a crime of stealing something and sentenced to 15 years of hard labor. He was
0: accused of stealing a propaganda poster which there's no real there's some grainy video footage that could or could not be him but yeah they detained him and he's been there for or he was there for over a year, right? Year and a half I think a year yeah. and a half. Yeah. And he and,
1: had he had been in China and taken a tour. Like, there's one of these tours that said, it's like basically, we'll take you places that your mother wouldn't want you to go exactly. into yeah. North Korea. So he willingly accepted this, but, yes. and then, yeah, stole the poster, mm-hmm. supposedly. And then, and then right. was, it was,
3: it, it's unclear what exactly happened to him, but basically, he was tortured and spent the last year in a coma, essentially. Yeah. Uh, finally came home earlier this week, and then yesterday was announced that he, he died from um, uh, whatever the causes related to his, his treatment in North Korea. So, meanwhile, this has led Trump, right, to So the, if we go to the, the theory that Trump doesn't care about foreign policy, doesn't think about foreign policy until, you know, some random event occurs, right? He's been all over this. He's been tweeting. Yeah. So yeah. previously had mixed messages, positive things to say about North Korean leadership, critical things to say about North Korean leadership. Um, he's been very, he's strongly condemned North Korean uh uh, the North Korean administration for the treatment of warm beer so Bill and I were talking a little bit before somebody pointed out that the one time that Trump has really taken strong international action was in Syria after the chemical weapons attack which was this sort of pull at the heartstrings pictures of people who you know you could you felt terrible for children who were suffering and, and whatnot. um and uh i've seen several people draw parallels right so Otto warmbier is this american kid it it, it like gets at the sort of emotions the heartstrings he was treated you know shittily by this north korean regime and this is the sort of thing that might lead donald trump to do something right these are if you're talking about foreign policy from trump this might be the sort of thing that leads to action
1: absolutely i mean he spoke he met with their met or spoke with their parents right clearly it was upsetting him he tweeted uh, you know, in tri- typical Trump fashion, uh, so a tweet he sent out today. While I greatly appreciate the efforts of President Xi and China to help with North Korea, it has not worked. At least I know China tried, right? <laughs> so, so, this this suggests so that bizarre, right? He's he's shifted, right? So before there was, I mean, even last week there was talk that there could be negotiations that that might potentially be on the table, and now that appears to be gone. Working with China to North, I mean, it, it it seems like he's shifted gears. Because of this one event, uh, or maybe potentially, you don't I, think
0: so? I don't see one thing coming out of this. I think he's putting on a good show, realistically.
1: Or, or is he putting, or is he upset, and then he goes to talk to Maddox or somebody else, and There's they say, also that "Donald, you know, as awful as this is, this this is not worth escalating."
0: Yeah, I think it's good optics for him. Yeah, to make it seem like he cares, which I, I think that he does. Oh, I think he does too. Yeah, but at the same time, given the rhetoric that he's he's put out there about the north korean uh regime and his general fawning over authoritarian dictators especially in that part of the world i don't see him really he's not going to do anything on top of the fact that they have nuclear weapons right he's so he can be dumb but he's not that dumb
3: so there there are reports that north korea are out today that north korea is preparing to do another nuclear test um i don't I don't know the details of that. I just saw that headline. Oh,
2: were they buying? So, week?
3: so it, if, if you combine that, if you combine this Otto Warmbier story, you know they're bad people. With they might test nuclear weapons. Does that? Does you don't think that gets at Trump in a way that okay. otherwise he wouldn't like? He's he's not a, he's he's a reactive person, right? Like this is how he how he deals with. He stuff. is a
0: reactive person, but we've. I mean, he's like we've talked about he ceded a lot of control for military strategy to the generals and mattis specifically i don't see anything major coming out of
1: this well, but it will it will depend on where the military is on this and I don't, I don't think we know where mattis is i will say that when they came into office the trump administration they were very clear to say that military force was was one of the options they would consider sure yeah. you have to say that well, well but Previous administrations didn't, right? I mean, right. the Obama administration didn't do that. And maybe it was just, you know, uh, yeah, window dressing. But if there is somebody in the Pentagon, if if, if Mattis does think that a, a strike here or there could matter, I mean, it, the State Department isn't going to hold them back. I Yeah, it, I, I think it's,
3: it's – Go ahead. It, it's an interesting question, because the Syria strike, if we go back to that one, I think that's one where the Donald Trump emotional response lined up with something that the military had been wanting to do, probably. Exactly. Right. So I feel like throughout the Obama administration, there was lots of push to do more about Syria. And so you had those two coming together, the military and Trump wanting action. So the question is, even if Trump wants action here, what what does the military Want And I don't know that we know the answer to that necessarily. Well, I can't, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to, they don't, obviously don't want war with North Korea, no. but like, you know, a limited strike or whatever, I don't, I don't know.
1: Well, sure. it could take the same form as the Syrian strike where, uh, you know, the U.S. takes out a facility, maybe not a nuclear facility, but maybe something as a demonstration effect, right? They've, they've done that. You it's no, no way. way,
0: not a, there's not a, a single part of me that believes that. Because we're talking about nukes. Syria and a completely decimated and uh, disparate force that doesn't have a good central command structure that is just kind of all over the place as opposed to one of the largest standing armies in the world that does have nuclear weapons that is on in uh, on the border of one of your closest allies it's not sorry. gonna happen and frankly realistically we have three other people that are still detained there this is sorry to say and I feel bad about saying it a minor incident like it, oh, I it, agree with it's you emotional but this is not, you know, nuclear war level material. But if
1: Donnie's upset...
3: So yeah, that's the thing, right? No, I, 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 under really almost any other presidency, I would totally agree with you, Nick, but in the end, right, like, if Donald Trump wants a strike, it doesn't matter if the military doesn't want it, right? I mean, they can try to talk him out of it, but if he says we're doing it, then he gets to say we do it.
0: Uh, I don't know, dude. Uh, I I think oh, there's going right. to be some pushback. On, I know that's what I know that's what the <laughs> protocol is. But you're talking about nuclear war. Like, there's gonna be something there that stops that from happening. I, I think, it's especially in this situation.
3: This this is the president who there were reports of throughout the campaign and early in his presidency of the first question he was asking military people was about nuclear weapons and why we don't use them.
1: Is it nuclear or is it nuclear? <laughs> I still think it's less likely that that would happen, but, but it, it, is, it is it is a possibility, right? I think that's, you're probably right, Nick, that it's not going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if that discussion, if it uh-huh. hasn't already occurred, will occur, and somebody might sure. say, well, it's not because of the reasons you articulated
0: Regardless of what those decisions are behind the scenes, yeah. this will be out of the news within a week.
3: You so think so? I, I think yeah, so. Okay. I, 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 ten, I mean, I, I largely agree with you, Nick. I don't think anything's going to happen i do think it's again illustrative yes <laughs> illustrative <laughs> <laughs> of the problems of having a president who is carrying out foreign policy largely from an emotional sure
1: yeah. oh, it's, oh right. yeah that, that's, what's, that. that's
3: what that's what scares. that's what terrifies me more than a lot of the other domestic issues yeah. which i think are major of major concern but this is like bad stuff can happen when you react emotionally in you know these deeply complex foreign relations because sure.
1: yeah. when you look back through the history of u.s foreign policy and dealing with crisis or crises uh it usually comes back to the president right so the the state department will have a perspective the the defense department will have a perspective everybody weighs in but it's it falls to the president to make that decision and whether it's the cuban missile crisis or you know whatever the example is you hope that the president is the one who can you know have the weight of history upon them and i, I think that, that it's clear that Trump is not that individual, mm. and there are people around him who might be, but, but not the president himself, yep. uh, which is, it should terrify all of us. No. <laughs> oh, You'll be okay. I'll be all right. All all, right. Calm down. Can we, can we talk briefly Cuba? Because that was, that was just fantastic this yeah. week. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, so Donald Trump uh, went down to, to Miami and gave a speech in which he rescinded uh, some of, of Obama's uh, policy changes towards <laughs> Cuba. You know, most significantly, uh, it'll cut back a little bit on the travel and and ability to spend money and go there. I mean, it's not, a, it's not an overhaul. It was a, no. a minor tweaking. But the rhetoric that he used, uh, attacking the Cuban regime, suddenly human rights mattered for Donald Trump. It mattered a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that speech itself was was over the top in terms of it was just oozing human rights left and right. So, Phil, has Donald Trump been bitten by the human rights bug?
3: No, no. He's, he's a man who lives in the moment, right? And if it's convenient in the moment, he's going to do it, which is why he can go to Saudi Arabia and praise their regime and say nothing negative about human rights. But when it's convenient to, like, attack the Castro regime, he can suddenly be a huge fan of human yeah. rights, right? Like, there's, there is no, like, guiding principle that runs through the Trump administration other than what's best for Donald Trump's administration and Donald Trump.
0: Well, I mean, the rhetoric, which... I mean, I'll I'll give him props for this at least. That a lot of it, what you heard in the media, was that he wanted to keep a lot of the capital flowing into Cuba away from the Cuban military, which I don't know personally. I agree with. I don't necessarily know the details of it, but at least the optics of that look good. Sure. From a no less of a human rights standpoint,
1: but it's it's this question of whether. You want to continue to isolate them, or with engagement and and development, whether a middle class emerges. So you know, I think there's different approaches to that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this was an easy victory for him, right? I mean, it was to go in there and to talk about human rights, and uh, but I don't think he believed. Maybe he. I think in the moment he probably does believe it, uh, but he has just. What was I talking about? Right. I mean, with Saudi Arabia, you know, Duterte in the Philippines, you know, he loves, uh, what's his name, Sisi in Egypt. He loves the dictators and all the Democrats he can't stand. Uh, and So this so, is a
3: unique one. Uh, Cuba is a, it's a it, I mean, it, it, you're right, it is sort of a politically smart thing because it's something that the vast majority of Americans care little to nothing yeah. about, right? Or they, they have an opinion, but it's not, it's not the thing that determines how they vote on election day. Yeah. But there is a a small chunk of Americans that give a, you know... Oh, yeah. yeah. Give a, you know, give a really serious enemy. damn about yeah. uh, Cuban politics. So <laughs> you can sort of win a victory with that sort of hardcore group without really, you know, most other people are like, eh, I, w- I was kind of hoping to go to Cuba right. on vacation in five years, but oh well, I guess <laughs> right. I'll they go to go Puerto Rico old instead. Cars? Right,
1: but the cruise ships will keep going. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, it was a, it was a, mo- a mild tweaking of it. That. Well, that's the other
0: thing. Like, you hear the reports of... Uh, airline corporations and, and cruise lines, going, well this is, you know, gonna hurt our bottom line. You didn't have that fucking
1: bottom line until yeah, about six yeah. months ago. The Chamber ass. of Commerce was pissed. They were they were angry about yes, it. Uh, of you know, the other thing that is there anybody who looks more humiliated about all of this than Marco Rubio? Oh god. So I mean this is this Marco Rubio clearly is this is a big issue for him and he, he wanted an even harder stance on Cuba taken. But you go back all the way to the Republican primary when Trump is calling him, what, Little Marco? Little Marco. And just mocking him and embarrassing him. And Trump and Mark uh, Rubio at that point is saying, like, he's not qualified at all. And now at this event is basically groveling for the wonderful work of President Trump. I mean, that had to be particularly
2: uncomfortable for him.
3: (laughs) Rubio has gone from, like, respectable to just like the the level of the drop in my level of respect for him has yeah. been precipitous right how high was your level I, level of it, respect it wasn't him? necessarily all that high to begin <laughs> with it wasn't bad though no, i thought I, like he, he went from he went from you know a, sort of a mainstream republican a little conservative but like had a future in politics to like i just man just like what does he stand for there, there, like, were, a, I just,
1: exactly, there were a lot of the never trumpers who were Marco Rubio Rubio supporters, right? I mean, that he was the guy, and I get why, because he was this modern Republican, and his, yeah, but to, to go slurping back to Trump was it, was, it was, I felt bad for him.
3: He was supposed to, I mean, he was, like, if you had to pick, like, a flag bearer for the future of, like, the mainstream Republican Party a few yeah. years ago, it was Marco Rubio, mm-hmm. right? And now you're right, he's just, like, just shows no signs of having a spine. He just, yeah. like, does what, he just caves on stuff.
2: Well, it seems like, like, can't even a issue
3: a strong or, statement on yeah. anything. Like, even John McCain, like, has he, you know, he's like, keeps making these strong statements on stuff. He's made a strong statement on the Senate health care bill. Yes. He's going to vote for it, but right, at least right. he's saying <laughs> that he has <laughs> issues with it, right? Like, no. Mark Rubio's not even doing that. He,
0: he made it so strong, he actually. actually... Didn't he already put his vote in? Is that right? I, I think guess, so. Yeah, yeah.
1: McCain is so good at like criticizing, and then like when it comes to the vote, he'll like get in line. Yeah. Um, which is, there's some real strategy there because he's, he's a maverick. He's a maverick, yeah. except for when it matters. Uh, so. uh, All right. So even though this has been a bad week and a whole host of not necessarily a bad week, but a complicated week for foreign policy issues, one that went really well was Trump's visit with the president of Panama. It was, oh. it was so good, Nick. I'm so comfortable. <laughs> All right. So those the listeners
2: who didn't no. catch to, detail. Uh,
1: they, they're sitting in the yellow chairs having their awkward back and forth of, you know, Trump is saying things. Uh, no. and they, he said, okay, I'm going to read Trump's quote. No, don't. Quote, I, you know, I have to, Nick. Quote, we have many things to discuss. We're going to spend quite a bit of time today. And then he looks at uh, the president of Panama and says, the Panama Canal is doing quite well. I think we did a good job building it, Right. And then the president of Panama responds, "Very good job." Then he said, "Yeah, hundred years ago, ago. yes, (laughs) Yes. hundred years ago." Oh, I my new favorite thing when they're in the yellow chairs is not to watch Trump, but to watch the other head of state there because every little twitch you can sometimes see it in their eyes and.
3: (laughs) How do you prepare? Like, so if you're the if you're the like the you know one of the top advisors to a foreign. Uh, you know a foreign leader coming to visit with Trump how do you even begin to prepare cuz you have to you you have to treat him with respect right yes. like you have to go through all of this but I, like I, there's it's so unpredictable i it's not a job that i don't envy them that job it's
0: got to be kind of a nice break they don't have to think about anything of salience they just yeah, kind of sit Trump's there thinks... and yeah, you well, know and just go, oh, no, i can't look this dumb.
3: <laughs> if if you were if you were smart it's probably a real opportunity right like you you kind yeah. of feed his ego a little bit. And you, there might be a chance to actually negotiate in some really interesting ways if, you know, yeah. not not in the way that like Trump supporters think that Trump is so good at negotiating, right, but in right. the sense of like, if you're going to meet with Trump, right? You talk about how great the US did at the Panama Canal, and then you also ask for the thing you've been wanting and see what happens.
1: I think the Saudi model will be copied wherever yeah. Trump goes, probably. You know, red carpets, bans, uh, you know. It, lavish. Exactly. Yeah. And that works. And he loves everything about that. And you're right. You're right. You can get it. You can get a good deal. You know, so. we, have we
3: sold Saudi Arabia? How many billions of dollars of weapons right after yes. that trip?
1: Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if this was a, a minor detail. It wasn't covered much. The Senate almost turned that over, right? There they, they was something that was going through the Congress where they were going to disallow a huge chunk of that. And Mike Pence and <coughs> McMaster basically behind the scenes lobbied to get it stopped, Uh no, I, right,
0: right. <laughs> so, Got to get that deficit down, man. Yeah, it's the only way. Uh, um yeah, all we're right. Try and get Peter on. Let's,
1: uh, yeah, let's try to get Peter.
2: Uh. So,
0: if you're coming in late, uh, we have Peter Rice, who's going to be joining us. Uh, who is the author of Liberal for Conservative Reasons? Uh, he was nice enough to share his book with us. Um, pretty, pretty damn funny. So
1: we're we're
0: excited to talk to him. Yeah. So, so we are.
1: We are trying to Skype Peter in as we speak, um, if the technology works. Nick, you know, we, uh, technology. I don't know how those inner tubes and <laughs> tubes right. work and, um. um, but, uh, but yes, uh, liberal for conservative reasons, how to stop being obnoxious and start winning elections. It's good. I, it's, yeah. yeah, I don't really want him to win elections, uh, but yeah, that's fine. Peter!
0: <laughs> Hello! Welcome to Barstool Politics!
1: <laughs>
3: Well, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. So, all right. So, for our uh, listeners, uh, Peter is a journalist and writer uh, based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, he covers local, state, and <laughs> politics there. Uh, uh, and you've written other books as well beforehand, right?
2: Yes. Although they, they have nothing to do with such such partisan topics, they're mostly about <laughs> bicycle touring. You know? Hey, that's all right. Another that's all right, More <laughs> fun pursuits, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's been a few interesting things happening in national politics lately, so I thought I might, uh, I might take that on. It's a good time to a write large. a book. <laughs> <You know. laughs> so was there, yes, something
0: that, was there something that actually made you sit down and, and write this? I, I love the book, by the way. Like, What,
2: what was the catalyst
0: that, that started this?
2: I'd actually been working on it before the election okay. because it had occurred to me that liberals are annoying uh, for Yay. a long time. Uh, had uh, and, and I say that as a liberal, by the way, who grew up with liberals and, and loves liberals. I know I sound like those people who are like, uh, some of my best friends are black people. No, some of my best <laughs> friends are liberals. Yeah. And I say this with love, but they're annoying as hell. And uh, it was... It was kind of on the uh, uh, between the back and the front burner for a while, and then uh, President uh, Man Baby got elected, and that was what I needed.
3: So, so can you uh, like explain your basic like your I don't know I, I don't know summarize your first chapter right? So what your basic point is that that uh, liberals make points that people largely agree with, but they make them in a way that makes people hate them, right? Yeah, pretty much. So I think, I think people basically
2: support the liberal agenda uh, when it comes to health care, economics, Planned Parenthood funding, the environment. Like ba- Basically, all the liberal staples get majority support in the United States, and yet a lot of people who support those issues vote for Republicans uh, time and again. And I argue uh, that liberals suffer these defeats time and again, I'm I'm sure for a lot of reasons, but the one I'm I'm tackling here is because they package their arguments in the most annoying way possible (laughs) to appeal to the smallest uh, possible group of people, definitely not moderates, definitely not conservatives, and even a few liberals don't don't like their, their arguments as well. So in short, their style uh, is, is terrible, it's inward-looking, it doesn't take into account the moral frameworks of their political appoint, uh, opponents. And so this, this book is sort of a, a long-brewing catharsis about that. Uh, but it's also a bit of a how-to manual uh, for arguing liberal politics in ways that conservatives might actually pay attention to and care about.
1: So, so in your sense, right? It really is. It is style, right? So, you know, and, and so Phil and I are both academics, and I think we're part of well, Phil, in particular, that that annoying, <laughs> obnoxious group. And and when they talk to each other, they get along just fine. But you're right. It is. It's it's that stepping outside of that bubble and appealing to a mass audience. And in many ways, like the traditional democratic. Group right, the base that they used to appeal to—that blue-collar uh, Democrat—that's it's moved on, right? They they have no interest in dealing with academic elites.
2: Uh, well, I guess I'm not sure exactly. I mean, yeah. I if you if you read like a Thomas Frank's book, uh, he argues that it's way too much yeah. uh, of academic elites, and they should they should get back to their working-class roots. Uh, so I, I mean, maybe this is speaks to a larger problem: is that we, we really have no great idea of what the democratic base is anymore i mean there's this coalition of the ascendant idea yeah uh, but it's it's not clear that that is a, an enduring majority which seems to seems to be a prerequisite in democracies for actually uh, doing things so i would sure. i would hope we would go for that at some point yeah
3: so what is so,
0: uh, go ahead phil
3: so can you give us an example, like pick a pick a topic, like a, a, one of the issues, you go through a lot of them in the book, like give us an example of like the way that, the annoying way that liberals talk about something versus what you think, how they should be approaching it that might actually win people over.
2: Uh, how about, oh, birth control's in the news. Want to yeah. do birth control? Yeah. yeah. All right. So there's this whole fight, the, there was the executive order the other day about, Uh, These these so-called religious freedom exemptions to the the birth control mandate uh, under the Affordable Care Act. Now, the liberal talking point for why we should have that uh, in place is because it promotes uh, women's health, it promotes women's equality, it helps women uh, be full citizens in society, uh, and because a lot of women are poor and desperately need the help. Now, that's all true, and I agree with all of that, uh, and that is super annoying to anyone who's sitting there thinking, somehow I figured out birth control without the government's help. Uh, and so, so, and this all sounds suspiciously like, to a conservative ear, an attempt to get uh, them to pay for uh, people who should have their act together as birth control. Uh, so it, it it falls completely flat because uh, we make this an issue uh, exclusively about women, and I, I do recognize the irony of four dudes getting together talking about <laughs> a, a, a women's issue, but perhaps but perhaps that's not ironic at all because. Uh, I think the four of us can attest that birth control is incredibly important in all of our lives. Yeah. Is it not? <laughs> yes. Birth control is not a women's issue. It's everybody's issue. Right. <clears> uh, <throat> first and foremost, uh, you know, if, if you've got a pulse, but secondarily and very importantly, uh, if you're a taxpayer and you want to see the welfare state as as small as possible, then one good idea for getting there would be to make sure people who are not ready for primetime parenthood uh have the option of have, have a, a very smooth path away from parenthood yeah. uh until they're they're ready for it so that's that's an example i mean you don't have to go to the argument that conservatives are going to find really annoying just say hey you support this thing you shrink the size of the welfare state it'll we're done here
0: right <laughs> Simple, simple, and to the point. Yeah. Um, what What is the response been? Like, I read the the, the forward uh, in the book. Um, what What has the response been from your your liberal friends after publishing this? Uh,
2: I th- well, my liberal friends they're kind of used to me doing this. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So they I was like. I was like the one. Hillary supporter in the, in the group of Bernie people. And so they're, they're used to me being the, that, that guy who who says those things (laughs) and is weirdly in favor of free trade and, and, and all these things. So I, I think, uh, some of my liberal friends, some of whom I got to kind of preview the book, they were, they were a little bit weirded out by it, but, uh, you know, we're still friends because (laughs) <laughs> They're liberal and tolerant, and <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. Damn it! That's
0: hilarious. Oh.
1: Um, Should you, we talk healthcare? Yeah, if you want, go ahead. So you know how? So thinking about the perspective you bring to the book, uh, what's your sense of how the the current uh, legislation for healthcare is playing out? I mean, does this? I don't know. What's your thought on all of that? Uh.
2: it's uh it's it's bad (laughs) really bad
3: is it is it mean too (laughs) It's,
2: it's very mean is it mean yeah well of course it's it's super mean uh yeah i mean anytime you take health insurance away for from what 23 million people and maybe the senate will be different although okay let's just for a second assume the senate's Wildly different and it only takes insurance away from 10 million people. Yeah, uh, gee we, we won't have anything to worry about at that point. Will we? Uh, but no. Yeah, of course, it's mean It's cruel and I think that is the main Democratic talking point as, as we go into yeah. this debate uh, This week of, of course helped out by you know the president agreeing that it's, it's yeah mean, uh, Which is uh, convenient? Um, but I think that that sort of misses the point in that, more than anything, this health care bill is dumb. Yeah, uh, Because it seems to be written based on the idea that if you take health insurance away from 23 million people, they will suddenly either disappear off the face of the earth, they'll get raptured or something, or they'll suddenly <laughs> never have health problems again. They'll never get injured. They'll never get pre-existing conditions. They'll never, I don't know, get shot while they're trying to play a baseball game, which is a pre-existing condition that could prevent you from getting health insurance in the future. (laughs) Nothing will happen to these people uh, ever again, and we won't have to worry about them, which is completely divorced from reality. They'll they'll get a job because they can pay for health insurance, right? right? Right. I'm I'm sure they will, (laughs) (laughs) yes. And actually I, I mean I'm sure some people think that uh, but they've apparently never worked in the thriving construction or hospitality <laughs> right. sector yeah. or for that matter for uh, a small startup tech company uh, you know you gotta have a big company if you're gonna afford health insurance um, so all that's gonna happen if they uh, hopefully not but if they do manage to to pass this bill is we'll have uh, an extra 23 million people walking around uh, who don't get as much preventative medicine uh, in other words the cheap kind of medicine they go to the er more often they rack up huge bills uh those bills either go to some payment plan but more often just get ignored they get thrown out by a bankruptcy judge and then the hospitals and the doctors come back from that appointment uh at court with a great plan to raise rates on the rest of us now i call that socialized medicine uh <laughs> The Republicans call that a great health care bill. I don't know what their, their deal is with that. The other stupid thing this bill does, at least the, the House version, who knows what, what the geniuses in the Senate will come up with, <laughs> but it, it literally creates a new entitlement. These tax credits. Mm. Uh, and it's an entitlement that doesn't have the decency to go to only people who uh, actually need it. Uh, it's just a it's just a check written to to people based on having a pulse, uh, which is, you know, maybe not a problem from a fiscal perspective in the short term, but in the long term, what's the most obvious thing to happen here? Well, people are going to realize this thing doesn't buy them jack squat on the insurance market, and they're going to burn up the phone lines and get this thing increased. So not only do we have an entitlement that goes to basically everyone regardless of income, there is an upper income gap, but it's it's pretty high. Uh, we will have a growing entitlement that goes to everyone. So it's it's the least amount of insurance for the most expensive, most inefficient way humanly possible. So, yeah, yeah sure, it's a cruel bill, but more, of the, more to the point, it's just stupid.
1: Well, it, it seems to me that a lot of Republicans get this, right? They understand this, right. but they're trapped, right? They feel that... There's a certain momentum. They've got to repeal Obamacare. They've got to do this. You know, that constituency that, that elected Trump is putting all this pressure on them. But they understand this. They realize that, you know, the, the 24 million people who are going to be kicked off eventually, like, that's not good for their electoral prospects. Uh, I mean, all of this seems like they should know better. And I think they do.
0: But at the same time, the Democrats are focusing on the fact that Trump said it was mean. Like, right. not the salient points that, that Peter is bringing up yeah. right now, which is kind of the point of this entire discussion. Yeah, right, nice no, so I agree, yeah. I, I I honestly don't know what the result of this is going to be, but I don't think it's going to be as much of a blowout as some people are saying it's going to be. If it passes? No, saying in the sense that there's a massive backlash to it already. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> not in the short term, but I think over time, this, this is just... Uh, this is not not good for them. Not I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned. <laughs> <So>.
2: <laughs> I don't think Sorry. it would be a blowout, but it's not. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, we're targeting the the most vulnerable people in right. our society here with mm. this thing. So they're the least politically powerful. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't expect a huge backlash from from Medicaid folks. However, there has oh, yeah. been uh, a lot of people uh, who have you know started small businesses. They're right. kind of Owner-operated. There's this kind of, in the whole Obamacare Sunday, there's this uh, top filling of, of small-time empresarios mm-hmm. that have small businesses and make a lot of money, yeah. uh, but they couldn't get health insurance as an individual or they had a pre-existing condition or something like that because they stubbed a toe when they were 16 years old and they're, <laughs> yeah. therefore they're a huge insurance risk. I would expect some blowback from those people. Sure. So so also,
3: how
2: do you, uh, go ahead, Phil.
3: I, so, it, it seems like you're. I mean, you're making this argument that uh, you know, in order to convince the average voter, um, you convince them not that the policy is is mean, but that it's dumb, that it's bad policy, which I'm I'm totally behind. What do you do about the fact that, like, so the Republican Party? So we're not talking about the voters, but we're talking about the people in office, right? Like passing this is dumb right like i mean 60 it's like 60 to 70 percent of americans are like strongly disapprove of this bill they haven't even seen it like none of the negative impacts have gone into play and yet republicans are gonna move on it like what do you how do you i don't don't even know if you have an answer to that but it seems like like convincing them that it's dumb like how do you convince them that it's dumb it seems like this is an example of something that is obviously dumb right and yet it's not slowing them down (laughs) at all do what?
2: i say don't call it dumb that's not gonna help <laughs> uh i think congressional republicans may be a bit of a lost cause uh however i this this book the idea is 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 more of a longer game here uh and i think broadly speaking you know it's 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 always a it's always a rhetorical battle every day every hour uh, and it's it's kind of a question of what can these people get away with saying without being laughed out of the room. And I think if if enough people, if and again, I don't I don't need to take over the PR operation of the DNC here. I just want these Somebody arguments of you know we don't have to moralize all the time. Let's just talk about how this is dumb. Uh, I just want that to have have a, a kind of slice of the conversation. And if we can if we can get everybody to wrap their minds around the idea that so long as we will backstop emergency room care for anyone in the country, then basically we're already on an insurance plan altogether and it's all socialized. The only question is, are we gonna be efficient about it or not? Uh, then I think some of the talking points that I've heard out of congressional Republicans, uh, will they, they won't be able to use those anymore and they will they'll fall flat and maybe we'll just all kind of move on here but in in terms of what this book has to say about the next week and and what the playbook should be uh not a hell of a lot but uh <laughs> we'll <laughs> see what happens it, uh, it
1: does but seem like the senate republicans are giving the democrats a gift here right i mean so uh mitch mcconnell who is is a smart guy right he knows how to do this like you know he's they're saying it's gonna be 10 hours of debate that's it right uh this sh- this should be a gift to democrats just hammer on the lack of transparency, um, you know, nobody knows what's in this bill. All of that, right? This this should be, but I, Democrats will screw Sounds it up. oddly familiar, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, they'll <laughs> screw it up. You yeah, know, they so. always <laughs> do.
2: They are pretty good at that, aren't they? Yeah, they, they don't like winning elections. Um, yeah. Um, Actually, you know, one thing I hope, uh, if I could, if if anything comes out of this debacle, have you guys heard of uh, Sprinkle Care? By the way. No. No. Sprinkle care is the best news to come out of the health care reform front in in at least the last couple of years. Uh, It's this guy in the state legislator in Nevada uh, actually managed to pass this bill through the state legislature that told uh, the state Medicaid program to, they just said, look, repackage your product, uh, call it the Nevada care plan, and sell it to anyone who has the money. To buy it, uh, and we'll fold in the existing Obamacare subsidies, and and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. So basically, it's it's uh, exactly what I talked about in this book. And I have to call this guy and see if he stole the idea from me. Uh, no, he didn't. I'm I'm confident. But uh, it's sort of single payer by gradual acclamation. Uh, okay. So eventually, enough individuals get into this this thing, and they're paying for it either. Out of pocket, or in a sliding scale uh, subsidized system, uh, and eventually it just it just takes over the individual market. But then st- there's nothing to stop the state from then selling it to uh, employers as well, perhaps just for a flat percentage of payroll or something like that. Uh, but that's that's the sort of strategy I hope gets more traction now the, the Nevada effort got vetoed by the governor who's a Republican there yeah. uh, but that is what I hope the Democrats take out of this whether this monstrosity passes or not because uh single payer is something that Democrats have been flogging for a long time uh, but they don't know how to get there right. without massive disruption of who's on what plan and huge tax increases mm-hmm. but uh, this this guy whose last name is literally sprinkled Uh, In Nevada has showed us the way. You just uh, you just take what you got and slowly start to funnel people uh, onto a single player plane. Doesn't have to be Medicaid, by the way. It could it could be Medicare. It could be a state clone of Medicare that just goes in and and xeroxes their their rate structure. Whatever. Just just go slowly. We'll all be we'll we'll be Canada in five years, uh, and it'll be wonderful.
0: Well, nobody wants that. <clears throat> <So laughs> That's as, true. Well,
2: it'll be Medicare in five years. Yeah. <laughs> <That'll
1: be wonderful. laughs> so as you look forward, if you were offering advice to the Democrats about the type of presidential candidate they should be looking for, does it really matter whether you're looking at the Bernie Sanders or the Hillary Clinton or the Joe Biden? Or is it more messaging? Right? Does, it, does the policy position matter or... Does I mean, you suggest that like how they present it, but it does seem that there's a big difference in terms of the kind of campaign that Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton would run versus somebody like Bernie. Like, do you have any thoughts or advice on on Democrats as they move towards that that decision?
2: Yeah, I think possibly because we you know look we all went to we all went to liberal arts colleges and, and things like that. We are the nerd party. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm talking to some college professors, so yeah. that's, that's even more fantastic. <laughs> right, right. Uh, So I think, I think we have focused so much on cerebral politics, right? Mm. This, is, this is all just a, a large enlightenment exercise. And it's, it's very mm. civil people coming to the public square Discuss the pros and cons of tax rates and things like that. Yeah. And what Trump understands, and what I think Bernie understood, and what Bill Clinton understood, but somehow Hillary Clinton never understood, was that politics is much more of a uh, sort of a dominance display with chimpanzees that you might see in a Jane Goodall document. I mm. uh, did like line in the book. But yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, but these candidates like Al Gore and John Kerry, they just, they don't inspire that uh, that sort of I've got your back feeling and I will, if necessary, send SEAL Team 6 over to the next valley to teach that other band of chimps what's what. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, on the left, I think, don't really, we, we're kind of afraid of that. We're kind of afraid of our, our the fact that we're, we're just chimps. Right. Come on, mm-hmm. I mean, we're right, we're yeah. not that different. Yeah, uh, and we we respect it. No, maybe maybe the cerebral types can reliably get forty five percent of the vote, uh, but we we'd be much happier with fifty five, and then uh, then we'd be set. Sure. No, I, I think that's spot on. I mean,
1: I you think th- so too. you can't you couldn't have a more cerebral candidate than Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, who all the experience, all the knowledge. Nick loved her. And Trump, who's more of like, you know, he appealed to a different type of American. And it, it, that's where the numbers are. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. but he appeals, that, that sort of personality appeals to everyone. Though. That's what Obama yeah. did. True. I mean, Obama had that spiritual mojo. Yeah. Uh, and even those of us who fancy ourselves to be Enlightenment cerebral types. I mean,
1: yeah
0: <laughs> we
2: love that. <laughs> so great.
0: Right. Um, I guess more from a uh, kind of a broader perspective, what do you think of the, the, the left's response since Trump has been in office, mm. just from kind of a populist perspective, you know, protests and Antifa and all of that mess? Like, what? What's your perception of that
2: response? Uh, I don't know. I, I, part of me is not terribly impressed.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nick Nick isn't because, either. <laughs> no, not at all. Say again? Nick isn't impressed either.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, the left loves protesting, Sure. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, the Tea Party got into it for a little while, but basically this was our baby. I mean, we had the civil rights marches. Uh, you know I mean pride parades uh, anti war stuff i mean, but it seems like the left isn 't quite aware that protests don 't win elections mm-hmm. um, it's shocking <laughs> unless they you know i mean if they if they galvanize a bunch of people to go you know register people to vote, run for city council, run right. for state yeah. legislature mm-hmm. yeah maybe maybe that 's a means to an end, but uh, the the protesting I think has been held up on the left as uh, something of an end in itself and it, it most certainly is not and, and cannot be. We gotta we gotta do a lot of uh, a lot of pretty groundwork. Now, there's other people doing that. I mean these these indivisible groups, for example, are not just doing protests. They're actually like sending people to recalcitrant Republican senators copy parties to, to to do things. So I don't know. But on the other hand, I mean we just we went through a kind of a trauma uh, and I wouldn't you know, begrudge the left uh, a few more months to kind of get its act together, but you know, 2018 is coming up, but let's make sure we've got a good strategy to actually win.
0: Yeah. You know, that's fine. You guys just need some time to, to cry and sit in the corner. That's <laughs> fine. Just take all the time you need. <laughs> 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 all right, no, I, uh, I, I mean, I, when, I, when I read the book, like, I, you know, I, I'm with these guys and they obviously come from an academic background and I look at it from more of a, a, a populist, you know, kind of cultural background. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Like, yeah, man of the people yeah. kind of thing. Um, no, in in the, the points that you made and the points that you hear that are covered in, you know, whether it's Fox News or any other media and you hear about protests going on, I like the... The points that they bring up, I go like, realistically, I agree with all the points that you're making, but you bug me so fucking much that I want nothing to do with you whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know. It, it was like re, I, I was watching TV and reading your book at the same time. That's it. That's it right there. <laughs> Just I, I I don't know. I, I found it I found it very interesting. So that's again the perspective that I'm coming from with it. But yeah,
3: yeah. I, I like I, so what, one of the things that I. Sorry, I, did you want to respond to that? I just let no. Nick laid out this thing. Um, uh, what,
2: no, yeah, it's, go for it. This.
3: So one of the things that I liked in the book that came up, one of the points you made was was that it's okay to acknowledge that like Republican or conservative complaints or critiques are valid, right? right? Which I think is something that liberals don't do, right? So I, I, don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of the specific example you used in the book, but like I think about like I don't know, uh, poverty. poverty. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah. yeah so, it's, the whole idea of the, the freeloading welfare cheat or something like that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's okay to be pissed about that, right? Like but Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and but then to explain to them the ways in which like destroying a welfare system actually comes back to bite them in the ass or whatever, right? So but I, I think that's something that we don't do often enough. I so you know, Bill and I do international politics mostly. So I, I think of it in terms of like Terrorism, right? Like to tell, like, it's okay to be upset or to be scared about like Muslim terrorism in the world, right? But then to also understand that that's, you know, put that into perspective and to talk about how we actually combat it or how we deal with it. um, There's like this, it does seem like there's this reluctance by liberals to even like grant any sort of, you know, acknowledgement of the beefs or the concerns or the, the worries of the conservatives and so i I like that you made that point i thought that was a good point
2: well thank you and i I mean i don't i i did write an entire book making fun of liberals but uh, having said that uh i think our hearts were in the right place on that one you know when you uh when somebody trashes all uh, poor people as being lazy undeserving welfare cheats uh yeah i think a natural reaction is to be like well hey i mean these you're kicking a guy while he's down, so I'm going to step up and defend it, but it's terrible politics mm-hmm. uh, because there are people who are uh, very just uh, unattractive sorts, shall we say, who do scam the welfare system, mm-hmm. and we do not want to spend all of our political capital defending them. Uh, we have to defend the concept of having a, a society that uh, gets towards something like upward mobility, which is some some terrain on which I feel pretty good about about our political chances but yeah if we if we spend all of our time uh, defending the the least attractive elements in our society we're we're going to keep losing yeah hmm. fair enough uh
0: probably most importantly out of anything
2: are you drinking
0: anything right now
2: <laughs> you know so I've been listening to your podcast recently <laughs> um, and I love this I love this tradition you have now so I happen to be joining you from, from Argentina tonight.
3: Oh. Wow. We didn't know that. Wow. No.
2: What, what uh, time is it in Argentina? On. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, in fact, there was this huge parade going by the apartment. Today is Argentine Flag Day. Oh, wow. Uh, for some reason. So Very there was nice this lot of honking cars going by here. and I was afraid it was going <laughs> to disrupt things. But anyway, uh, I have here... Uh, a box. So the thing. Okay. So Argentina, Argentina, capital of, of all good wine, right? Yes. The <laughs> beauty of Argentina is you can you can go to the store and get uh, and get this huge box for about forty pesos, which is two dollars and seventy five cents or something like That's that. That's awesome. And yeah. Instead of being complete shit, <laughs> it's actually pretty good because uh, it's Argentina and it's just like grown down the street or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is uh, Tenormin the water. Uh, Tinto, so red wine. Desde siempre en la mesa de millones de argentinos con los compartimos mucho más que un vino. So that means... Speak English, speak American. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Since forever on the table of millions of Argentines uh, with uh, what we share is much more than wine. So that's a terrible Google translation. But it also says nuestra pasión. (laughs) <laughs> on the uh, on the bottle. So. Oh. Anyway, it's uh it's delicious. It's cheap, so. All right. Hey, go. that's that's good. the first time we've it's, had it's, wine on. Yes, yeah, right. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh Phil, what are you that's drinking? Do here.
3: <laughs> I uh I took a break from beer and I had uh I went with uh, Old fashions made from Four Roses single barrel bourbon. It was fantastic. Awesome.
1: Very good. All right, Nick and I, we were uh, doing a sample from Lakefront Brewery, uh, which is uh, up in Wisconsin, in the best best brewery tour you can do in the United States. And we had three beers. We had... I think you say that every week, Bill. Well, because I'm hoping they'll... <laughs> we like... get determined to get an ad from <laughs> that. Huh? I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> so, but these are new beers. We haven't had these before. The White, the Fixed Gear, and the River West Stein. So, mm-hmm. uh, Nick and I had the same ones. What What'd you think, Nick? I mean,
0: I love... Like I think Red Ales are my favorite yeah. favorite beer ever. It's kind of nice and caramelly, and this yep. one is just kind of lightly caramelly, yeah. and Pretty pretty easy. Um, so I was a huge fan of that. Um, the white tasted like melted crayons, so I don't want any part of that. Um,
1: this is an organic Belgian style wit ale. There, no, yeah, it's
0: done. Yeah, I don't want anything <laughs> organic? I want chemicals in yeah. the beer.
3: Do you you consume melted crayons often? <laughs> I, enough, I enough. can neither confirm
0: nor deny that, <laughs> Um You do not recall? No, it just, it has, it's a very, um, it's a very distinct Belgian style thing that just doesn't sit well with me, so. There's a lot
1: of coriander in it. Yeah, whatever, yeah, that yeah. shit, whatever. <laughs>
0: um, and then River West is, is actually good. It's a, a, a darker, kind of sweeter... Yeah. Um, just a lager like i don't know it it was it was just good it's very it's very drinkable it's a nice amber it is that
1: is their like signature beer and in milwaukee this is one you find all over the place uh i love river west eye i agree with you the the wit was just okay i love the red Uh, but lakefront brewery is is fantastic they should uh they should sponsor us it'd be great (laughs) um yeah
0: uh peter can we i mean obviously we we have the book uh liberal for conservative reasons how to stop being obnoxious and start winning elections um can we plug your website facebook any social media that you have or any projects that you have coming up
2: absolutely uh liberal for conservative reasons.com. uh we'll then take you to peter rice.com uh in terms of other projects nothing nothing too crazy but it'll It'll be on that website, uh, as is a link to Twitter, at RicePeterB. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Very good. Anything else from you guys?
2: Uh, no, we should uh,
0: plug the Barstool Politics. Uh, yeah, so we are um, Facebook, at Barstool Politics, Twitter, at Barstool Paul. Yep. Still, I always forget that. Um Uh, BarstoolPompers at Yahoo.com
1: Send us your beer suggestions
0: (laughs) We're running out Um, We are putting our beers on uh, The Untapped app So you can find that on the App store on iTunes or Android um, And on our Individual Twitter pages as well Um, I try and Keep mine up to date as much as possible Um, Anything else I'm missing? No, we're good Um, Phil, anything from you? Nope (laughs) We're good then. Cheers. Um, yeah, Peter, thanks again. Yeah, we, thanks, really Peter. This is it was
3: great chatting with you. Yeah.
1: Sure thing. Thanks, guys. yeah Y'all take care.